lives of your children as they've lifted up the praises to you. Lord Jesus, we recognize you're enthroned in the praises of your people, and so we willingly give ourselves over to you and surrender all that we have. And we ask you now, Lord Jesus, to come among us, be the person of the Holy Spirit, move in our hearts, open our eyes, open our ears, shed your light, the Shekinah glory of the only begotten Son into the hearts of your people. Holy Spirit of the living God, fill this place and receive the worship of your people. Speak now, Lord, for your servants listen. In Christ's name and for his sake, amen. You would join me and open your Bibles um, to the second epistle of Paul to Timothy. Which amazingly, as the Lord works it out, that first song sources itself in this passage that we're going to look into today. So in the providences of God, he works through his people to bring us all to one place. The second epistle of Paul to Timothy, I'm going to read um, from verse 6 to verse 12. Verse 6 to verse 12. Therefore I remind you to stir up the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share with me in the sufferings for the gospel according to the power of God, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began, but now has been revealed by the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who has abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, to which I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher of the Gentiles. For this reason, I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and am persuaded that he is able to keep what I have committed to him until that day. This is the Word of God. So this letter um, is written by Paul and is timely for us because there are some of you in the room that may feel some discouragement. Things aren't going necessarily the way that you would like them to go. And so there's discouragement in your life. Some of you may have fears about the world we live in and about your future. Some of you may be feeling the sting of rejection or persecution, um, either in your home, in your community, in your workplace, and you're not alone. We all experience these situations if we're following the path of righteousness. After all, Paul will remind Timothy later in this letter that all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. 
all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Christ told his disciples that in the world they would have trouble. But fear not, for he's overcome the world. And because of this reality, it is necessary. It is necessary for Christians to assemble together in churches so that we can pray for each other, so that we can love each other, so that we can hold each other up, so that we can forgive each other, so that we consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, in order that we might exhort each other as we sing the psalms and the hymns and the praises to our God and Father and to our Lord Jesus Christ. It's necessary to be in the body of Christ. This letter that Paul is writing, if you read the entire letter and if you read his first epistle to Timothy, what you'll find is that Timothy is the spiritual son, as it were, to the apostle Paul. And at this point, Timothy is facing these types of persecutions, these types of fears, these anxieties that maybe you're feeling today as he's ministering in the church of Ephesus. Timothy was a relatively young man, and he was leading one of the churches in a major city in the Roman Empire. He was being put to the test both from within the church and from the, without through the culture in Ephesus. And as Paul was made aware of these testings and temptations that Timothy was enduring, he wrote this letter. It was to be Paul's final letter to Timothy. And in it, he exhorts Timothy to remain faithful in his calling and his gifting. And it's interesting as you read the letter that you will notice in the Apostle Paul a victorious tone as he writes to Timothy in light of Paul's situation as he's writing it. You see, at the time that Paul is penning this letter, he is imprisoned. He has been falsely accused, and he is facing certain judgment which he believes and did in fact end in his death. That's the situation that the apostle finds himself in. And yet, as you read the letters, he urges Timothy on. He urges him on. He urges him on. He reminds Timothy, do not shrink back from the challenge. Do not falter. Do not fold. But instead, stir up the gift that is in you. Stir up the gift that is in you. You see, at this point, Timothy's flame was in danger of being snuffed out. Timothy was dealing with false teachers that were attacking the church. Timothy was dealing with a hostile culture in the Gentiles that were around the church. And Timothy was dealing with people in the congregation that were developing itching ears, looking for preachers that would tell them what they wanted to hear, not what God had to say. So all of these things were leading Timothy into this timid spirit where the flame, instead of burning in him, was starting to die out. And Paul says, Timothy, fan it. And Paul writes to Timothy these victorious statements so that he could bring that dim flame back into a roaring fire that would be filled with love, 
that would be filled with hope, and that we'd be filled in faith, not in himself and his own abilities, but in the Lord Jesus Christ. Because the Lord Jesus Christ is building his church. And Paul's exhortation to Timothy, you see it in verse 8. He says, Do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord Jesus Christ, nor me his prisoner, but share with me in the sufferings for the gospel according to the power of God. You see, Paul understood what it was to suffer for Christ. And he wants Timothy to know that it's not in vain. So don't be ashamed, Timothy. Don't be ashamed. That word ashamed, we think of it differently as shrinking back, but this is actually being singled out. People trying to convince you that you have erred, you have misplaced your trust in something that is untrue. They try to make you feel like you don't matter. You don't fit in. They make you feel defeated. They make you feel confused. And you become ashamed. You become ashamed of the Savior who hung on a cross, the most grisly death that there could be, under the curse. They make you become ashamed of the Apostle Paul, who is a shipwrecked jailbird who fell out of favor with the ruling parties and religious leaders of his day and has been chased across the continent as a criminal and as a thug, wanting to be killed by his own people, wanting to be killed by the Gentiles, by the tradesmen. Don't be ashamed of me, Timothy, as I sit in this prison. Don't be ashamed of the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't be ashamed. But join me. Join me in these sufferings according to the gospel, according to the power of God. Join me in this, Timothy. The key passage I'm going to focus on this morning comes after that exhortation. Find it in verse 12. And there you see Paul providing Timothy a foundation which enables Paul himself, as he sits in a prison, facing judgment, to keep himself from stumbling under the enormous strain, and how Paul himself remains unashamed. Now, how is it that Paul can persevere? Verse 12, For this reason I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed. For I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep what I have committed to him until that day. Paul understands the reason for his suffering is because he is a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ, the high and holy one, the name above all names, and he's not ashamed. For he knows whom he's believed. There's a personal connection, a personal relationship with Christ. There is a communion with the Lord. That's the first thing that matters to the Apostle Paul. Notice he does not say, I know what I have believed. You see, Paul had extensive religious training. He was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. He believed the Jewish religion. In fact, he believed in it so much that he was still waiting for the Messiah and pursuing the church of Christ as Christ under Paul, previously Saul of Tarsus, was targeted. He was an expert in handling the scriptures. 
but he was blind to the truth. So it's not what Paul believes. It's not the fact that he believes. In other words, it's not what somebody has taught you, Timothy. It's not somebody taught me. It's not that I myself have a strong faith, that I have believed that which I have been revealed. Paul had exceptional praise from people. Paul had exceptional advantage from the tribe of Benjamin, circumcised the eighth day, a Jew of the Jews. He had everything that we consider advantageous. He was well-educated, well-to-do. He was a dual citizen. He was a Jew. He was a Roman. He was able to learn. He had passion and zealousness for the law. He had all of those advantages, and not, not that he believed. Not what he believed. That isn't what Paul says. He says, I know whom. There's a person that he believed in. It is Jesus Christ that he believed. He didn't believe about Jesus. He met him. It's who he believed. We pound ourselves on the back thinking that we have so much skill in handling the Bible. We have been instructed. We have maybe even been teachers ourselves Paul doesn't mention any of that as he's writing to Timothy here. Coming to the end of his life, what the only time Paul mentions all of that good stuff is when he writes to the Philippian church and he counts it garbage. All of those skills, all of those advantages, all of that learning, all of that praise that had been heaped upon Paul as a zealous Pharisee, he counts it all as loss. It was loss. To gain one thing, Christ, the person. He now understands <clears throat> that this Jesus is the fulfiller of the law that he knew so well. He knows that Jesus is his kinsman redeemer. He knows that Jesus is the sacrificial lamb. He knows he's the shoot of David. He knows he is the bright morning star. He knows he's wonderful. He knows he's the counselor. He's the mighty God, and he's the prince of peace. He knows that this one whom the Jewish nation still today waits for was completely revealed to them in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. But like Job, until that day on the Damascus Road, he had only heard of him. On that day, Paul saw him. The Lord revealed himself, and Saul of Tarsus became Paul the Apostle. It was the person of Jesus Christ that revealed himself to Paul. It is the person of Jesus Christ that Paul now knows. It is a person that Paul communes with. It is a person that has forever changed Paul. Do you know him? Not have you read about him. Do you know him?
Have you seen him? Have the scales that were on your eyes been removed? Has the dark blanket over your heart been wiped away? Have you gazed into the glory of the only begotten Son? When you open your Bible, do you hear him? For his sheep hear him, and they know his voice, and they follow him. Do you know him? More importantly than that, does he know you? Have you come to the cross and looked up and seen the face of the altogether lovely one? Do you know whom you have believed? Because if it's a preacher, you're in trouble. If it's a book, you're in trouble. The one you need to know is the one who can save you. So Paul, in the midst of these sufferings, first says, I'm not ashamed for I know whom I believed. I have a personal relationship, a communion. I am one with my Savior. He's real. He's a person. He's not a theology. He's not a religious system. He's not a force. He's a person that came and gave himself for me. And secondly, I am persuaded. I'm persuaded. Now, that's, that word is weak in English translation. Depending on the translation you have, you may be seeing, I am convinced. Some of you may be seeing even the additional words, beyond doubt. What that word means in the original language, the root of the word persuaded, it is a binding. It's a binding word. So Paul is persuaded. He is bound. He is knit as one, inseparable and absolute. He has absolute confidence. There is no degree or shade of turning. Without doubt, I am persuaded. Through the revelation of Jesus Christ, I am persuaded that he is able. That translation means that he has committed himself. The revelation of Christ, when he reveals himself to you, will do what it did for Paul. It opened his mind to the revelation of scriptures. And like the two men on the road to Emmaus in the heart of Paul, the truth, whose name is Jesus Christ, burned in Paul's spirit and firmly convicted him, mind, soul, heart, strength, that the promises of God in Christ are yes and amen. How do we know this? He doesn't say that here. You can look in Acts chapter 17. You can hear from the Apostle Paul himself as he's out ministering. And as he's speaking to the philosophers and the brilliant men of his day, the worldly wise men of his sojourn, he tells them this, In him we live and move and have our being, using their own philosopher's words. In other words, in him is life itself. The breath you breathe the blood that courses through your veins. In Christ we live. In Colossians, it says that by Him all things were created. All things created by Him, through Him, and for Him. He is Creator God. 
He is maker of all things. He is the voice that spoke into the darkness and light came. He is the creator. And in Philippians, he tells the Philippian church that God has declared his name is above all names. That there is none greater that men may call upon. He is the Lord of glory, the King of kings. And there is no one or nothing that can separate us from the love of Christ. Not tribulation, not distress, not persecution, not famine, not nakedness, not peril, not sword. Because for us, we are more than conquerors through him. That's what he tells the Roman church. Nothing can separate me from the love of God, which I have in Christ. I am convinced not my death, not a judge declaring me guilty, not my own people trying to murder me, not my closest brethren turning and walking away from me. All of these things the Apostle Paul has suffered. All of these things the um, young man Timothy is enduring. None of this can separate you from Christ. He is the rock of your salvation and he will not be moved. Are you convinced? Are you persuaded? Are you bound to this truth whose name is Jesus? Or are you more afraid of man? Has the wisdom of this world bound your mind? Are you following the science? Are you following Jesus? If you're following him whose name is faithful and true, who can be against you? What can man do to me? Who is it that accuses you? It's God who justifies. Are you persuaded? When the trials come, when the temptations overflow, when the depression sets in, when the fear grips your heart, and it certainly will, are you convinced that he is bigger than that? And not only is Paul personally related and in communion with Christ, not only is Paul personally convicted of Christ and his truth, but what he is persuaded of is that he is able to keep what I have committed to him until that day, that glorious day when all will be made right. The picture of that glorious day that's in the book of Revelation. When we will all gather around the throne of God and the Lord Jesus himself will present us to the Father. That day, he will keep what I've committed to him. Your translation may say, my deposit comes from an old understanding in the languages, the deposit of his soul. He will keep all of me, not just my stuff, all of me, all that I am, my entire being. He's got it in his hand and he'll keep it. He will keep everything that I have committed to him because my hope is in the person of Jesus. 
this same Jesus that was willing to reach down and touch and cleanse a leper. The same Jesus who wept at the loss at the tomb of Lazarus and then raised him from the grave. The same Jesus who forgave the multitude of sins of Mary Magdalene. The same Jesus who with authority commands demons and the winds and the waves. The same Jesus who was moved with compassion and he multiplied loaves and fish and fed more than 5,000 people. The same Jesus that in agony stretched out his hands as they were nailed to the cross and prayed for forgiveness for his executioners. That Jesus has taken Paul into those nail-scarred hands and there is nothing that can remove him. That Jesus has you in his hands. And there is no force on earth. There is no force under earth. There is no force above the earth. There is no event, no calamity, no disease that can ever change that because you are in the Creator's hand and He is the master of all. This is your commitment to Christ. You put your money in the bank and you trust the bank to take care of it. Have you made a deposit of your soul? Who has it? You commit your body to a doctor. And you'll let them slice you open and do whatever it is they do. And you'll trust that man or that woman. But have you committed your soul to the great physician? Have you been deceived and placed your hope in this world? instead of the Lord Jesus Christ? Have you been battered by the winds and the waves and the sea of life? Have you been tossed to and fro by the ever-changing promises of this world's safety? Peace, peace, cries the world, but there is no peace. Will you turn to him? Paul did, because he knows he is able and he is willing to save all of it, all of it, until that day. This is the Apostle Paul's final instruction to Timothy. Look to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. And do not be ashamed, for the sufferings of this present day are not worthy to be compared to the glory which will be revealed in you. These are the final words of the Apostle Paul to Timothy, who he loved. He's reminding young Timothy in this verse, this singular verse, that it is our personal communion with Christ, our personal conviction in Christ, and our personal commitment to Christ that gives Paul the strength to stand 
in the midst of suffering, to stand in the face of adversity, to stand in the face of ridicule. But to do that, you must submit. As Paul is writing to Timothy, he's reminding him of his willing submission to the supremacy of Christ in everything. Christ is Paul's strength when he is weak. He is his rest in turmoil. He is his security in the face of persecution, suffering, and death. And he is his hope for the glory that's to come. If today you are facing a test, if some kind of temptation has gained a foothold in your heart, if you are discouraged and the fire that we know is in you is dimming, if you are feeling ashamed of the Lord Jesus Christ or afraid of the, the strength of this world, hear the Apostle Paul. Remember the one whom you have believed. Be persuaded that he is able and commit yourself into his hands. Father, we, we struggle often. We stumble often. And Father, this enemy of this world is greater than us. So Lord, forgive us when we try to fight our battles in our own strength, thinking ourselves strong, thinking ourselves wise, thinking ourselves able. When the battle belongs to you, Lord Jesus Christ, and there is none that can defeat you, your arm, Father God, has not been shortened. Peter reminds us that you care for us. So we commend ourselves into your care this day, Father God. And we trust with the Apostle Paul that you will keep all that we have committed to you and that that one day will come. It is certain and there's an appointment set in eternity when you will fulfill all that you have promised in your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. We ask this, Father, for ourselves this day, for his sake, for his glory, for his renown. And we trust, Father God, that you will do it because you are trustworthy. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Holy Spirit of God, for loving us, for being there to help us. And we ask now that as we sing this last song, that our hearts would cry out to our Savior and we would recognize that he is present in this place and that he is pleased with our worship. Yes. In Christ's name, amen.